0: We're uh, going to continue our series on on what we've been calling the the good and beautiful God over the last few weeks. And as you all know, if you've been here, if you've you've gone back and listened back, the series is based on a book by the same title. And uh, I've actually had a number of people in the congregation who have come up to me um, over the last several weeks who have actually come and uh, purchased this book. And they've started reading it. And uh, they have kind of relayed to me what a wonderful experience and then what, a, what an eye-opener it's been to a good number of them. And, uh, and that's great. That's wonderful news to you. I'm glad that uh, God's speaking to you through that, through that book and hopefully uh, through these sermons as well. It's the same experience that I had uh, uh, regarding some things that I learned about God when I first picked up this book a number of years ago. And it just helped me so much to influence my understanding of who God was, who God is, and uh, what God is and uh, really served and continues to serve as a, as a major influence on my relationship with God and, and my relationship with others. And uh, as we've talked about, um, my understanding and hopefully when, it, when hopefully th- as we go through this together, uh, your understanding as well of how we are formed spiritually, uh, how we grow and how we mature towards Christ-likeness. So kind of as we talked about the last few weeks, uh, one of the basic premises of this whole series is to learn to understand the true nature and the true character of God. And when we're able to do this, like I mentioned, what we're going to find out is that our relationships with God and our relationships with others are going to be greatly increased. Uh, they're going to be more intimate. They're going to be more loving. They're going to be more trusting, which is what we're going to talk about today, in nature. And again, learning who and what God is truly in character is going to free us to be able to submit to God, to the Holy Spirit, to allow things him to do whatever it is he wants to do in us, to grow us into people that resemble Jesus in our thoughts, and our words, and in our actions. So, in order to be able to do this, what we have also talked about is that we have to unlearn a lot of what we have learned in our lifetime about falsities regarding the character of God. We have to unlearn these false things that we may have come to believe about God. Maybe we've learned these things. Maybe we've come to believe these things through our own life experiences. Maybe we've come to learn these things, to believe these things, even in the church, maybe from even behind the pulpit. And we've been referring to these things, these ideas, as false narratives or false stories, basically. False beliefs about God and about God's nature that have been so deeply ingrained into our minds and into our hearts that they just greatly, or greatly, I or really get really can't overemphasize how negatively these things can hinder our relationships with God, with others, and how they hinder our spiritual growth. So we've talked about a little bit how to overcome these things. We look to Jesus. We look to Christ and we learn from him about who God is, what God is, how God thinks, how God acts, how God views us, his creation. We look to Christ and we replace these false ideas, these false beliefs, these false narratives that we tell ourselves with actual true narratives that are either modeled by Christ or taught by Christ or both, and you can find them throughout the Gospels. So far, we looked at a couple of things. I feel like this is really, really hot. Chad, I'm going to turn this one off. Better? Is that better, y'all? Um, So we looked at a couple things so far in in exploring these ideas. First of all, we talked about the false belief that a lot of us have, that we grow spiritually or that we grow more into Christ's likeness by quote-unquote trying harder, or that we grow spiritually by telling ourselves that we're going to do better, or we grow spiritually by sheer willpower. And we talked about why those ideas are false and why they never work. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of the time, if we're trying to grow spiritually or we think we're going to grow spiritually, through our willpower or because we're going to quote-unquote try harder, what happens is that leads the vast majority of the time to self-defeat into frustration in our spiritual lives. Instead, Christ points us in a different manner. He points us in a different way of growth. He points us into what I have referred to and what, a book, what our book refers to as the idea of indirection. In other words, we don't grow spiritually by directly confronting and, and directly take, taking on these, these, these avenues, these areas where we need to grow through our willpower. We take them on, and we are influenced through indirect means in life, those indirect means that influence us the most. Two of those that I talked about the most, I think the first one is the most important, and that is simply how we are influenced by our spiritual practices frequency in particular of our spiritual practices. I told you guys if you come to church one hour on a Sunday every week, that's wonderful that's great, but if that's all that you're all that you're, if that is the if that is the um, all you do in so far as anything spiritual you're probably not going to grow very much I think my sermons are okay but they're not going to grow (laughs) you it takes effort, it's just like anything, anything else anything else in the world that we do the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out out of it. Now that's just simple, pragmatic, practical advice. We grow spiritually through our spiritual practices, and that is one thing that I love about the Methodist Church is we have a history of emphasizing these things. We call them the means of grace, I'm, and I, y'all, y'all have heard me use that that, that term before. Uh, that's what that's what we have, that's what our tradition has historically referred to these things. It's it's everything that we do. It's it's our it's our scripture study. It's our It's our uh, prayer time, it's our meditation on scripture, it's our scripture study. It is partly joining together as a community for worship. All of those things, fasting, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of historical spiritual practices that we we engage in to grow closer to God and to allow, that's the word, not that we're forcing it, we can't force it, we can't make ourselves become these things. It is about using those avenues that God has provided for us, the prayer, the scripture study, etc., 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 Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through those means to influence us and allowing Him to grow us from the inside out. That's the biggest, that is the biggest influence in our spiritual life, hands down. Second one I would say are the people that we hang around. We are influenced and will become like the people that we hang around. That's why we stress community so much in the church because that's what we are. This is our number one community. It's not out there. The local church is your number one family, folks, with the exception of the folks that you live under the same roof with. Who you are around are going to influence you, and vice versa. You're going to influence the people that are around you. So important. So that's how we grow spiritually. And that was just a a couple of examples. It's not about trying harder. It's about simply allowing God to do what he already wants to do in us. Last week we talked about the false narrative that God is an angry God. I told you guys that that was the God that I was taught when I was growing up. That God really was a God to fear. And you weren't taught. To, I understand the Bible says, you know, the fear of God is, is uh, help me out here. The fear of God is the, uh, is the what? There you go, thank you, Kevin. I forgot, I forgot it myself. Beginning of, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I realize it says that, but the fear that I was taught about God was not a fear that was based in the idea of reverence. It wasn't an idea that was based in the idea of, uh, on the idea or the understanding of, uh, of, of having a relationship or of, of a God that loved me or a God uh, that I was to honor. It was based on the idea that God was mad at me and he was just waiting for me to mess up. That was his nature. That's what he did. That's the God of my understanding when I was a kid. I'm sure many of y'all had similar experiences. So we contrasted this belief, this belief of an angry God, a, a God who is angry and mad at us by nature. We contrasted that belief with a passage that I shared to you out of the book of Exodus. And this, is a, this occurs during a conversation actually between Moses and God. And these are the words of God explaining who he is, what he is. In no uncertain terms, he, decides, he describes himself as a God of compassion, as a God of graciousness, as a God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love, who is abounding in faithfulness, who maintains love to thousands and who is a forgiving God. We also contrasted this false belief about an angry God with the person and the character of Jesus. And I can't say that enough. Jesus and God are not separate. The personalities, the character, the nature of God and Jesus are not separate. In other words, you can't have a a Jesus that looks a certain way over here And a God that looks a certain way over here. Why? Because they are one in the same being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's it's, it's what we call the Trinity. Three persons in one. So you can't have different personality qualities. One doesn't contrast with the other. So we look to Jesus for the character of God. God in the flesh. I gave you guys multiple accounts, several accounts in the Gospels where Christ talks about God showering his people, showering his creation with blessings, good people and bad people. We learn that through Christ that God is in fact not mad at us, (laughs) that God is not malicious, that God is not looking at us from a distance, waiting for our next mishap so he can deliver his choice of punishment. The God that's revealed in Scripture, the God that's revealed in the person and the teachings of Christ is good. That's God's essence. It's who and what he is. It's what he does. God is the ultimate expression of love. Today we're going to talk about God's trustworthiness. Real quick, this is your scripture reference from today. It comes out of the book of Proverbs. It's two little verses. Most of y'all have probably heard them time and time again, but it always serves as a great reminder. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The Word of God for the people of God. God. The author of our book, this is so good. The author of our book here starts off his chapter on the trustworthiness of God um, with a story that he tells about a telephone call that he received one time uh, from a person, from a young man who who had attended one of his talks. And I want to read that to you because reading it out loud to you would, would do a much better job than me trying to remember the specifics of it. But anyway, this is how he starts off this chapter on the trustworthiness of God. Again, it's, he gets his telephone call from a guy, from a young man. He describes him as a young man who had attended one of his, uh, one of his sessions or one of his teachings or, or sermons or something. And he says this, this is so good. He says the young man called <clears throat> because he could not start his car. There was nothing wrong with the car. He was the problem. And he starts it off like this. He says, uh, when he's talking to me, he, he called and he says this. He says, Dr. Smith, I need to know if what you said about God is true. Author replies, what are you referring to? He says, you said that God is entirely good and loving and trustworthy and out for our, out for our good. Are you sure about this? Are you sure that I can trust God? Yes, I'm certain. Why do you ask? Because I haven't been able to drive my car for the past few days. Why, I asked. Because I'm afraid that I might have some bad or evil or lustful thought in my head. And in the next instant, I might die in a car crash. I am sure that God will send me straight to hell because I won't have time to repent. This is what this guy had been taught about the nature and character of God. After that, we talked for a while. I probed to find out what kind of stories he had heard about God while growing up. He told me that from time to time, he was a young boy. He heard his pastor, a man who represented God and spoke on God's behalf, begging people week after week to stop sinning before it was too late. And if they did sin, they had better be sure to repent before it was too late. God hates sin so much that he would send a person, even a baptized believer, into everlasting punishment for committing a single sin. The narrative of the nature of God that had filled this young man's mind from an early age was absolutely ruining his life. Now, some of y'all can think that that is absolutely absurd, but let me tell you, this is exactly how I used to think when I was a kid. I was scared to death of God, and I was scared to death of dying at a point in my life. And I just knew I better be on my P's and Q's because if I sinned before I died, God was going to send me straight to hell. Number one, I can't even tell you guys, I don't even have time to explain to you the bad theology behind all of that or it would take us all morning and all afternoon. But it's simply not true. I would expect that from some factions of Christianity. I would not expect that from Protestantism who believe that our salvation comes through faith and faith alone. I've tried to drive that home and home and home to you guys, that our salvation is based on faith. That is Protestantism 101. That's why we separated from other forms of Christianity 500 years ago. It was a big debate. Through faith and faith alone. And thank God for it. Because if I died today, and my salvation, my going to heaven or being in God's presence was dependent on me being able to confess my sins just in time, being a mess to even, to even have the knowledge of the vastness of my sins how many thoughts that I have a day that might go against the character and the nature of God you know, the will of God we don't even know the vastness of our sins we want to we we confine our sins to some of the most obvious stuff out there folks every person in this room sins multiple times a day God ain't looking to count our sins Being saved makes the slate clean. We are made righteous through our faith. I just preached on this. Through our faith in Christ alone. This is the basis of everything that we are, particularly as Protestants. Yet this guy was scared to death, and I've been there. I've I've, I've been right in that man's shoes, as, as crazy as it sounds. So what does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust in general? I think the author gives a great concise definition of that. He says to trust someone is to believe that he or she has your best interest in mind. To trust someone is to believe that he or she has your best interest in mind. That that person will protect you from harm and that that person is reliable. Do y'all believe this about God in every circumstance? every circumstance, do you believe that God's got your best interest in mind, no matter what? No matter what? Do we believe that God will always protect us from harm and that God is reliable? No matter what? That's a big no matter what. We'll talk about that in just a second. Is that the image that we have of God? Because if it's not church, that's Him. That's the God that Jesus describes. That's the God that Jesus lives out in his personality, his persona, his character, his nature. That's the God who loves us, and that's the God that we serve. We find out quite literally through Jesus that we can trust our lives with God. Let me give you just a couple examples real quick. Of where Jesus does this and how Jesus does this. First and foremost, Jesus reveals an enormous amount of information, an enormous amount of information about God's character and about God's trustworthiness through just one word, Abba. Abba. Y'all have heard me talk a little bit about this before. I want y'all to think back to the night before Christ died, when he's in the garden and, uh, and and he's praying. Pouring his heart out to God. When he addresses God in that prayer, he refers to him as the Aramaic word Abba. Your, your Bible may not say that. It may say it may actually say, Father, the original Aramaic is the word Abba. You say, what's that mean? That's, why is that such a big deal? Because Abba refers to how Christ related to God. It refers to the fact that Jesus knew a lot, knew something about Him. He knew, He knew without a doubt about God's character and about His nature. You see, Abba is a term I've told you before of deep, deep, deep intimacy. More than that, sometimes, sometimes you you may probably have heard me say this, or you've heard somebody else say that. uh, One of the one of the closer, I wouldn't even say closest, but one of the closer terms. Uh, in the English language today that you might want to think of when, you, when, when we're talking about the word Abba is the word daddy uh, because it's such a personal intimate term but even that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it the full justice of what this, what this word, this, this, uh, this name means that's somewhat right but it just doesn't grasp the full meaning it really, it, it also, Abba also really denotes a great sense of trust and here's that word, a great sense of obedience So y'all happen to remember what Christ prayed that night when he was in the garden, the the night he was arrested, the night before he died? Mark chapter 14 says that Christ prayed these words. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Crucifixion. Remove this cup from me next words yet not what I want but what you want Luke, the author of the gospel of Luke tells us that Christ was in so much anguish at this point that he literally was crying tears of blood Jesus shows us his human side here. he knew what was coming up, he was facing a physical torture and a death that none of us in 2022 could possibly even fathom certainly he was fearful he was scared who would not be remember he's, still, he's fully God but he's also fully human who fully experienced the emotions of humanity certainly he was scared certainly he was frightened yet despite that put yourself in the shoes of Christ for just a minute Put yourselves in the shoes of Christ knowing what was coming, knowing that you're not just about to get arrested, but you're about to get smacked and whipped across the back time and time and time and time again, that you're going to be punched in the head, that you're going to be punched in the body, that you're going to be beaten to a pulp to within an inch of your death. Oh, and after that comes being hung and nailed to a cross you're going to be supported by three nails two of which go through your ankles two of them which go through your wrist and you're going to sit on that cross for several hours while the breath is slowly taken away from you and yet at the end he prays not my will but your will be done how can he do that How can he do that? What gives him the assurance? What gives him the strength to pray those words, "Thy will be done," in the face of all this? He trusted his Abba. That is the only explanation. He knew how bad it was going to be, but he knew at the end, <laughs> as, as uh, upside down as this might sound, he knows he knew that God was good. He trusted him, and he trusted in his obedience to God. That's the only explanation we have. He trusted his Abba with every fiber of his being. Jesus knew that, despite all that, God is a good and loving Father who is so good that we can obey Him no matter what. Kevin, we're talking about obedience. You were talking about obedience for the service. We can obey Him no matter what. When it's uncomfortable for the love of God to the point of allowing ourselves to be hung on a cross. That's how much Jesus trusted his Father. Secondly, and this is pretty cool, how else do we know about Jesus, about God's trustworthiness? Jesus kind of reveals that to us through the words of the Lord's Prayer, which is why I got you guys to recite that this morning as opposed to the Apostles' Creed. It lets us know about the trustworthy of God God and God's nature through the words that He teaches us. You know, the the disciples saw what a rich and intimate prayer life Jesus had with with, 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 uh, with God, and they asked Him, how do we pray? And that's what He taught them. He taught them the words that we know today as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. You know, there's a lot that we can talk about the Lord's Prayer, and I think I actually went through it at one point, um, but there's so much depth, there's so much richness, and you have to believe that Jesus taught these specific words for a reason. You have to believe there's probably multiple reasons. But I don't think that he just, he just shot from the hip here. I think that he understood exactly what he was teaching us when he said to pray these things for a multitude of reasons. Let me give you a few of them, though, that go back to the idea of who God is and how and why we can trust him. First of all, let's just, let's just go through the words. I should have gotten a slide for this, but just, help, just remember along with me. Our Father in heaven. First thing that we notice, again, is that we see God, we see Christ addressing God as Abba, we see him dressing God as Father, which already denotes a closeness and a certain level of trust. Also, though this in heaven part is vital, this in heaven part is very important to us. It's not something we, in the twentieth century American culture, would, would would really think a whole lot of. But we have to go back two thousand years to the culture of Jesus and the Jewish culture in which he was raised and how they understood. What Christ was teaching here. Y'all probably have never heard this before. This heaven, this in heaven part, our Father in heaven. Why is it so important? Because in Jewish culture, heaven did not refer to a place that was far, far, far away. Heaven actually referred to the surrounding atmosphere. Heaven was literally in the air that we breathed, so to speak. Y'all remember when Jesus was baptized? What happened? The heavens opened up. The heavens were not far away. The heavens were right there. Right there present with them. Just as God is today. Intimate. Father. Abba. Fully present. Not in some far off distant place. Fully with us at all times. Hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed means holy. Christ teaches us that God is holy. Folks, being holy is all about being pure. It's all about purity. Particularly, it's all in our, in our, as far as we're concerned, it's all about purity of thought. It's about purity in our actions, purity in our intentions, purity in our motives, our motivations. God is absolutely holy. He is pure in all of these. He's pure in His intentions. He is pure in His motives, His motivations. He is pure in His actions, His thoughts. He cannot be otherwise. Otherwise, he is not God. What does that mean for us? Well, it should be pretty obvious, but you know, sometimes I don't even think about how, how cool this is and how big of an idea this is. God cannot participate in sin or evil. And this applies to his relationship with us, his creation. God is good. He cannot relate to us, and he cannot treat us through impure or sinful Motives or intentions. He is one hundred percent good. We may not be able to explain that all the time, but it's a fact. God isn't us. God is incapable of sin. Everything that He does, everything that He thinks, is pure. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God is king, and God is all powerful. He's God. He is all-powerful over the earth, and he is all-powerful in the heavens. Now, nothing that I've said to you thus far really points specifically toward anything that would necessarily lead us to the knowledge of God's trustworthiness or or his compassionate nature, but check out the rest of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God provides for us. Not because we ask for it, because he wants to provide for us. Should we ask for provision? Certainly. That's why it's in the Lord's Prayer. God wants to provide for us through all things and in all things. He wants to be our provider. We learned last week that God showers His blessings on who? My gosh, the just and the unjust. In the Gospel of Matthew, you read these words. Matthew 26, Jesus says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. Any crops, they don't reap any crops, they don't store any crops in barns, and yet their heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? God is our provider because he wants to be our provider. Forgive us of our sins or forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the one that this is this is the one that just really, really Enamors me. They all remember how God, I said a minute ago and then last week, how God described himself in that Exodus passage. He said he was abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgives. Allow this to sink in, church. God forgives because God wants to forgive, it's already there. He wants to forgive us. Our author of the book quotes another guy by the name of Richard Foster. Y'all heard me talk about him before too. Richard Foster said this. He said, at the heart of God is the desire to forgive and give. Why do y'all think he sent Jesus in the first place? Why do you think Jesus came to us in the first place? Because he had a desire to be with his people. He had a desire to have his creation reconciled to him. He had a desire to forgive his people. And this was the method that he used. God does not, not want to forgive us. He wants to forgive us. That's the God that we serve. Meditate on that for a while, church. Let that sink. And I'm going to tell you what, if you don't get nothing else I say today, get that one. Because that is the nature and the character of God. Let me say it to you one more time in a different way. God loves to forgive even more than we desire to be forgiven. True. God wants to forgive us more than we have a desire for it. Do not bring us to this time of trial or do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is our protector. He longs to us. He rescues us, even though we face trials, even though we do stupid things, even though we make bad choices, even though we have setbacks, hardships, all kind of suffering. God always gets the last word. The last good word. There's nothing, there's nothing that God cannot redeem. God is holy. God is close by us. He is holy. He's powerful. He is forgiving. He is our protector. What an incredibly strong image of the good and beautiful God that Jesus lays out for us in that prayer. What a strong image it is to know what God looks like, that God is is our Father, as our Father. Kevin, y'all can come up, now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He's not out to get you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Abba, Father, God, we thank you so much for how you have revealed yourself through Christ Jesus. God, help us to push back on these ideas that we that we that we can't trust you in all circumstances. Those fleeting thoughts that we have. Help us, God, to flee and to push back from the ideas that you are anything short of good and beautiful, and that you have anything less than our perfect good in mind and in store for us, no matter what. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.